purity is important in many natural things in our lives every day. For example, purity is important in what we drink, especially water. If a brand of of bottled water advertised impure water, that's what you'd buy, right? (laughs) No, of course not. We only drink pure water, and for good reason. We don't want contaminants or bacteria or chemicals or other kinds of filth in our water. Purity is important in the things that we eat as well. Who wants contaminated food? Not unless you want to be visiting the washroom in the near future for flushing out that food in one way or the other. Purity is important in the fabrics that we make our clothes with. You can combine different kinds of materials, but those materials themselves better be pure, or else the clothes on your body may just disintegrate and fall off. Purity is important in the materials we use to build our homes, or our vehicles, or the gasoline that we put in those vehicles. Our lives practically depend on the purity of various metals or oils every day. But purity is is not just important in external substances. Purity is also important on the inside of us. Internal, spiritual purity doesn't just impact the here and now, doesn't just impact your present life, but it even impacts your eternity. And it is crucial. Now, you might be confused about what I mean by that internal spiritual purity, but it is a crucial concept. Jesus is going to briefly address this today in some of his words, but powerfully address it. If you have a Bible, would you go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew 5. We've been slowly and methodically making our way through this part of Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, or otherwise known as the Blessed Are Statements, at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Today brings us to the sixth one, which is in verse 8. And it's difficult to overstate the significance of Jesus' words here. One scholar says about this verse that we will be face-to-face with one of the most magnificent and yet one of the most solemnizing and searching statements which can be found anywhere in Scripture. It is the very essence of the Christian position and of Christian teaching. All right? So that lofty claim before us. Let's, uh, let's pray that we would grasp the gravity of this text today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look into your word today, that you truly would speak it to us. That it would not just be words on a page, but that it would be life to us. I pray that your spirit would be ministering to our hearts, breaking down the hard places and, and making us soft, ready to receive and ready to obey whatever you have to tell us. Lord, we need you, and so we pray that you would be with us and be working on us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I've said each week as we've gone through these verses, I believe that the Beatitudes build on each other, that they are a progression. So inner poverty, the pure in heart, leads naturally to mourning sin, which leads to meekness, and so on down the line. The first three there, 
have to do with our desperate need as human beings. Read with me from verse 3. Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So all of these are our need, our desperate need for God. And then the fourth one in verse 6 gives the promise of God meeting these needs or satisfying them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then from there, the rest deal with the results of being satisfied. What happens once we, once God has given us his righteousness, what happens in our lives? So out of a craving for righteousness, we grow to become merciful, which we saw last week in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Next, the purity of our hearts are revealed. Look at verse 8. This is where we'll be camped out today. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In this verse, Jesus gives yet another picture of what a God-blessed life looks like. According to God. Right? Everyone wants to be blessed in life. But we think in our own terms, in our own ways of being blessed. Not the way God sees blessing. But... All blessings truly come from God. So really the greatest blessing we could want on our life is to be blessed by God. So you want things to go well for you in your life. Aspire to this. Desire this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Here's the main point I'll I'll try to prove to you this morning from this verse. God blesses people who have cleansed and devoted hearts. All right? God blesses people who have pure hearts, or in other words, cleansed and devoted hearts. Let's first talk about what Jesus meant by heart here, because he's not just talking about the blood-pumping organ inside our rib cages, right? He was talking about the very center of our beings, the very center of our being, the core of who we are, the seat of our, our mind, our will, our emotions, our personality. This is uh, the biblical picture of a heart. It's the center of who we are. And like the, a, a pure or polluted spring of water produces pure or polluted water, so the condition of our hearts determines the condition of everything else in our lives. This was a, a frequent theme of Jesus throughout his ministry, throughout his teaching, that unless our heart was pure, our behavior and our life would never be clean. What flows out of us will never be clean unless our heart is clean first. So what, what does it mean to be pure in heart, to be pure at the core of who we are? Now notice that what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in head or in mind, or in intellect, right? So it's not just having all the right beliefs and all the right knowledge or doctrine. It's more than that. Neither does he say, blessed are the pure in conduct, or the pure in behavior, 
Right? So, so purity of heart is not just doing all the right actions or the right religious activities. Nor does Jesus say, blessed are the pure in speech with only clean language. Or blessed are the pure in thoughts with only holy thoughts. Not that those aren't important, but Jesus knew if the heart was pure, purity and everything else would follow. In Christian circles in recent decades, the word purity has, has basically narrowed in usage. Right? So that many of you hear pure or purity and you think sexual purity. That's all you can think of with it. You think of books on purity or purity rings or purity conferences or, or purity websites or, or you think of the, the pure white dress that a bride wears on her wedding day. Of course, if that represents purity, why do grooms wear black? That's off topic, sorry. (laughs) All that to say, sexual purity is a form of purity. But it would be only a very small part of what Jesus is talking about here. This is purity of all of your heart. We may also think that pure means perfect. Or that pure in heart may even mean sinlessness. But it doesn't. If it did, then it would be absolutely hopeless for any of us to ever be pure in heart. So what is purity talking about? What is this pure in heart that Jesus is talking about? Well, the, the term purity always has to do with an absence of defilement. An absence of defilement. So that's what it means in the physical world, right? The water that is pure is, is free from defilement. And that's what it also means in the spiritual world. People that are pure are, aren't defiled by things that would defile them. They are free from, say, sinful dirt or other contaminants inside their hearts. But here's the, the huge problem with this having this kind of internal purity. We are born defiled. And we are born defiled. Many people picture our lives like perfectly white canvases, all right, that, which could be painted on or drawn on, whatever. Okay, so a white canvas, and as we grow up, our canvases get damaged, right, or they get dirty, they get, they get dusty, we get splotches of wrong color paint on them, or, or they just age, they grow old, maybe they, we tear them a bit, or they get damaged in whatever way. So we view purity as something that is in our distant past. And since then, we've become impure. It's something that we have when we're young, but then we lose it as we mess up. But that's not a biblical picture of human nature at all. Right? See, our canvases are damaged from the start when we're born. And as we continue to sin, we just layer on more and more defilements. We were never clean. So, as God calls us to be pure, he's not referring to some past state of perfection that we need to regain. He must be talking about something in the future that we need to pursue and gain. Okay, something to pursue. So, 
if purity means this absence of defilement, but it doesn't mean perfection, what does it mean? This is why I said that purity of heart is, first of all, having a cleansed heart. A cleansed heart. None of us are perfect. None of us can be perfect, but we can be cleansed from impurity. John Stott agrees that, he says, purity of heart is inward purity, the quality of those who have been cleansed from moral defilement, as opposed to ceremonial defilement. Those who have been cleansed are pure. I think Jesus was very much echoing some of Psalm 24 here in this verse, which says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Notice there that having a pure heart is linked with having clean hands. Having clean hands doesn't mean they were never dirty. It means they've been washed from whatever got on them. They're cleansed. So purity of heart is a, an inward moral cleanliness which we are to pursue more than we're to protect. Alright, got that? We should want our dirty hearts to be cleaned, to be cleansed until we are completely pure like Christ is. However, when you hear those words, you probably feel rather hopeless, Right? More than perhaps any of the other Beatitudes, this one can seem downright impossible. Blessed are the pure in heart. And we think, well, it's not me. Oh well, try for the other ones. Maybe maybe I could slightly resemble some of the others, but not, not purity of heart. You wonder, how could... I, how could we ever be pure? How could anyone be pure in heart? Believe it or not, though, Jesus was talking about all his followers when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you follow Christ, he was talking about you. And that's because... Through Jesus' blood, anyone can be purified. Among people, only Jesus was absolutely pure in heart. Totally free from all defilement. But on the cross, Jesus traded uh, his perfect purity for our terrible impurities. He died in order to make us pure. As Titus 2.14 says, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to, catch this, purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's why he died. One of the reasons. Hebrews 9 compares Jesus' sacrifice to the old Jewish animal sacrifices and says, For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, 
purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Do you get what these are saying? If you are a believer and you have placed your trust in Christ, then you have already been purified in your heart by the blood of the pure Lamb of God. Isn't that amazing? You have been washed. You have been cleansed. Your heart is different now than it was. As Colin Smith marvels, the apparent impossibility of these two things, seeing God and purity of heart, shows us how great a Savior Jesus Christ is. It's only possible through Him. And today, if you sit here and you know that you have never had your heart cleansed, you can have it purified today by that great Savior even now. Charles Spurgeon preached these words long ago, and they're just as true today. He says, if you truly desire the new heart and the right spirit, they will be graciously given to you. God is able to work them in you this very hour. He can, while you sit in this house, create in you a new heart and send you out as a different man from what you were when you came in. The power of the Holy Spirit to renew the human heart is boundless. Yes, though you have struggled in vain against your evil habits, though you have wrestled with them sternly and resolved and re-resolved only to be defeated by your giant sins and your horrible passions, there is one who can conquer all your sins for you. So I implore you, run to him. Run to Christ. Believe in him that he died and rose again to conquer sin and that even the boundless sin in your heart can be cleansed by his blood. Because it can. And if you will only have him as your savior, it will be cleansed. So to be pure in heart is to have a cleansed heart. But there's another aspect to this. There's an ongoing aspect. Like I said, the pure in heart is also to have a devoted heart. Or you might say an undivided heart. A single-minded, non-hypocritical, sincere devotion. You might think, well, that doesn't sound like the usual definition of purity. Think of it as our affections and our motives being unmixed with evil. That's where the purity comes in. We are single-minded. We are unmixed with evil. Psalm 24, which we read previously, it says that those with clean hands and pure hearts also do not lift up their soul to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. So they're not... Worshipping idols, they're not swearing deceitfully with men. Stott explains, that is, in his relations with both God and man, he is free from falsehood. Their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God and men. Their very heart is pure, unmixed with anything devious, ulterior, or base. Or consider what James 4, 8 says, as it commands us to... Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts... You double-minded. All right, so there's some familiar language. Purify your hearts. But notice, the opposite of having a pure heart is what? 
double-mindedness. So to have a pure heart would be to be single-minded, a single-minded heart, an undivided, devoted heart. But our hearts are pretty divided, aren't they? You've experienced this, I'm sure. How How one part of you sincerely desires you want to be devoted to God. Right? You, you want to know Him, to worship Him, to please Him. But there's this other part of you that doesn't want those things. That you, you, your heart is torn between them. You, you also want the things of this world now. Comfort or pleasure or success or whatever. You want the, the wealth and the health and the happiness now. Sometimes you even want sin. The Apostle Paul described this experience too. He says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Here's the struggle. Our hearts are divided. And we wonder, how long are we going to try to embrace both Christ and the world, never fully giving ourselves to either? The stakes are crazy high if we remain in our impurity of heart. Because this verse in Matthew 5 tells us that purity leads to the blessing of seeing. But the reverse is also true. Impurity of heart leads to the curse of spiritual blindness. When your heart is divided, truth becomes very difficult to see or to understand. A a pursuit of money or sex or success can blind us to certain things of the Lord. We don't even see them. When our hearts are consumed by these things or by other people around us, those things become our gods. And the more impurities that make their way into our heart, the more clouded our vision will be. As Spurgeon says, as evil things get into the heart, they are certain to blind the eyes. So I ask you today, have you perhaps allowed things into your heart that have distorted your vision? Distorted your vision of reality, the way things are, the way God says they are. If the Spirit graciously opens your eyes today to these things, will you give God your whole heart? I ask it that way. Because giving God our heart is the only way we'll ever become pure. Purity is not something that we can work into ourselves to cleanse our own canvases. We can't change enough of our behavior to even make a dent. Plenty of people have tried. They've tried to, to change their character from the outside in. 
Right? But that's not how things work. It's getting completely backwards. It's got to be from the inside out, from our heart flowing to the rest of our lives. And that can only happen through the supernatural purifying work of the Holy Spirit. However, there are plenty of things that you can do to grow in purity once you become pure in heart by God's grace. I know that there are things we can do because the Bible clearly tells us there are parts that we can play. So once God has changed our hearts, what can we do to become more pure in heart? How can we foster this characteristic in our lives? Here's a a few biblical ideas. First of all, ground your hope in God. Ground your hope in God. Believe that he can change you and then trust him to do so. In Acts 15.9, Peter says that God cleansed people's hearts by faith. Interesting. So it's by faith that our hearts are purified in the first place. And then in 1 John 3, it talks about our future hope of being like God and seeing God. And then it says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So in some way, that's saying we do purify ourselves. We have our part to play. And how do we do this? By hoping in him. It's part of grounding your hope in God, trusting him, by staking our future on him alone, by trusting him, by anticipating his return. Let me ask you, do you believe Jesus can actually make you pure? Do you trust that he will? Do you believe that one day you will be like Christ because you'll see God? If so, great. Keep grounding your hope in that. If not, this is where you have to start. You have to start here. After this, a particular habit that can help you grow in purity is to confess your sins for cleansing. Confess your sins for cleansing. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So how do we do that? Well, you know 1 John 1.9, right? If, you, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't delude yourself. There are still plenty of sins in your heart. But the good news is that as we become aware of them and we confess them, God promises to always forgive them. And not only to forgive them, but also to cleanse us from them. In other words, he will continually make our hearts more pure as we confess our sins. So this can bring us back to the second beatitude, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn their sin. If we are learning to recognize our sin and admit it and to grieve it and to repent of it, there, well, then we will naturally be growing in purity of heart. 
Today, the, the Spirit may be revealing some certain sin of yours to you. What are you going to do about that? When he reveals it, what do you do? One of the strongest weapons in our arsenal for growing in purity is God's Word. So the next step I'll give you is to, to study and submit to Scripture. To immerse ourselves in it in order to obey it. Psalm 119.9 asks, How can a young man, or anyone for that matter, how can anyone keep their way pure? And the answer, by guarding it according to your word. By guarding it according to your word. It's like God's word gives us the tools that we need to guard our hearts. So picture soldiers going on a raid to flush out some bad guys. Or maybe soldiers standing guard at a door to prevent evil from entering. I can't count the number of times that God's word has convicted me of sin in my life and at the same time inspired me to fight against it, to resist the devil, to repent of sin. That's what God's word does through the Spirit. Studying scripture isn't enough here. We have to submit our lives to it, to obey. 1 Peter 1.22 says that we actually purify our souls by obedience to the truth. One of the, the books that I was reading on this topic this week was written by a longtime pastor who made the claim that in his many years of experience, the people's lives that he saw change significantly over time were those who soaked themselves in God's word. And in my more limited experience, I can totally attest to the truth of that. Right? Those of you who have grown by leaps and bounds spiritually over the years are those who have been studying and then submitting to Scripture as often as they can, maybe even on a daily basis, jumping at any opportunity they can to get into the Word of God, to study it with others, maybe in like small groups, but, or Sundays, not just coming in and listening to sermons, but also putting them into practice. Smith says that over time, the cumulative effect of immersing yourself in God's Word will be like the effect of soapy water on dirty clothes in a washing machine. As the machine agitates, the stain is slowly, gradually, and increasingly loosened from the fabric. Over time, the Word of God will have this cleansing effect even on the toughest stains in your life. That's a great picture. I quoted part of James 4.8 earlier to you, which in full says this, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I suggest that we purify our hearts most here by submitting to God, by drawing near to God frequently. And perhaps the best way to draw near to God is to prayerfully draw near to his word. Speaking of prayer... The final way I'll mention to foster purity in our hearts is to pray for God's power. Even though I'm tacking it on the end, this is not just some tacked-on action. All right, Without praying 
for purity, pretty much all the previous points will be pointless. We should join in David's prayer, Psalm 51. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Are we praying these things? These are prayers that God loves to answer. That he loves to bless. And the blessing that comes our way when we're pure in heart is pretty astonishing. We might not see that right away here, but in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Yeah, that sounds nice. Not earth-shattering. We're going to think about what that means, though. For they shall see God. So how are the pure in heart blessed? God blesses those who have cleansed and devoted hearts by opening their eyes to his person and presence. God blesses the pure in heart by opening their eyes to his person and presence. And notice that this is the first time in all of the Beatitudes that God is directly mentioned. Obviously, he's been implied in every single verse, but now he's named. And the blessing that God has in store for the pure in heart is essentially God himself. The pure will get to see and to experience the person of God like no one else. We really need to ask the question then, will God be enough for us? Is, is God enough of a reward for us to inspire us to spurn all the earthly corruption that we can? Seeing God might not sound like something you'd have on a bucket list or a, one of your hashtag life goals. But historically, God's people have, have seen seeing God as the highest good and the ultimate goal of life. Martin Lloyd-Jones contends that the whole object of Christianity is to bring us to the vision of God, to see God. That's it. That's the goal. Think about it. What higher goal could there be? Can you think of anything? Right? What greater privilege is there What could we ever aspire to that would be greater than being welcomed into the holy presence of Almighty God to witness and gaze upon His infinite glory? There's nothing greater than that. In many ancient monarchies, gaining an audience with the king was an unthinkable blessing, an unthinkable privilege. Kings and emperors were very seldom seen. They lived sequestered away in their palaces. And to even get a a passing glimpse of a ruler was nearly impossible to do. Let alone getting an invitation into their palace to have a, a conversation or a dinner together. 
I mean, think of how hard it would be even for us today to get a meeting with our prime minister. It'd be pretty difficult. And then times that by like a hundred. And you get a little picture of what ancient monarchies were like. But Jesus says that in order to see the king of kings, you don't need to be a really special person. You don't need to have all the right connections. You don't need to resort to some underhanded methods, backdoor methods to try to see the king. You just have to be pure in heart. To to have a cleansed and devoted heart, which he gives freely to his people. Now, you might wonder, doesn't the Bible say that no one can see God and live? And it does say things like that. It also says that the pure in heart will see God. Perhaps that means that we can't see him in our natural state, as we are, as sinners, because our impure hearts will kill us. Right? We cannot see him in our impurity until that impurity is eradicated from us. Like, holy, holy, holy. Though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see. To be honest, we don't know the full answer to this. We don't know exactly how much of God we'll be able to see. But we are promised here and elsewhere that the pure in heart will see God. Will that be with our physical naked eyes? We can't be absolutely certain. But I believe it It does imply that. But while seeing God with our eyes is the greatest form of seeing God, it is not the only way. Right? Those who are pure in heart will be able to see God more clearly almost everywhere they look. Spurgeon says, To an impure heart, God cannot be seen anywhere. But to a pure heart, God is to be seen everywhere. Even in the present, even in the here and now. For instance, we will, be, we will be more able to notice God in his creation in the world around us. We will see his power and his beauty displayed in everything from ladybugs to lightning bolts. The pure in heart will see God speaking more clearly through his word. Less interference to their hearing, right? The pure in heart will also more readily see God at work around them. They can see the way he's been working throughout history, even to this day. They'll notice the the ways that his kingdom is advancing, even in their own hearts and in others' hearts. They'll see God in his church as the Holy Spirit lives through his people. And they'll see him in their own life experiences, sensing his presence, his nearness to them. And all of these will prepare us for the day of greatest blessing when we see him face to face. Because all the other ways we can see God are great, but none compares to this one. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. If you would, flip over to 1 John 3 with me. 1 John 3, that's page 1022 if you're using a pew Bible. 1 John 3. I read a portion of this earlier. 
But I want you to see this with your own eyes. Read it with your own eyes. In verse 1, chapter, 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So it says, we shall see God as he is, which will instantaneously make us like him, even as we progressively now become more like him, purifying ourselves by hope. Now here's a a sobering thought, but an awesome thought. Some of us may see him like this this week. I see him like this today. You never know how long you have left. But wow! What an end for the pure in heart, right? If you've never taken the time to, to ponder what it really means that we may see God, I urge you to do so. Take some time. Take even 10 minutes, sit and, and look at the scripture and think about what this means, that we will see God. I don't know if I ever really thought about it too deeply, about this truth, but it's worth it. Because when you grasp it, it changes everything. I'd like to end with a, a longer quote from a sermon from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He captures an anticipation that we should share, I think far better than I could with my words. So listen carefully to this. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is surely the most amazing thing that has ever been said to man. That you and I, such as we are, pressed with all the problems and troubles of this modern world, are going to see him face to face. If we but grasp this, it would revolutionize our lives. You and I are meant for the audience chamber of God. You and I are being prepared to enter into the presence of the King of Kings. Do you believe it? Do you know it as true of you? Do you realize that a day is coming when you are going to see the blessed God face to face? Surely the moment we grasp this, everything else pales into insignificance. You and I are going to enjoy God and to spend eternity in his glorious and eternal presence. The blessedness is inconceivable, beyond our imagination, and we are destined for that. All I have tried to say can be put like this. You are going to see God. Do you not agree that this is the biggest, the most momentous, the most tremendous thing that you can ever be told? 
isn't your supreme object, desire, and ambition to see God. The time is short. You and I have not long to prepare. You and I are waiting for the audience with the king. Are you looking forward to it? Are you preparing yourself for it? You and I, creatures of time as we appear to be, are going to see God and bask in His eternal glory forever and ever. Our one confidence is that He is working in us and preparing us for that. But let us also work and purify ourselves even as He is pure. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, give us such a vision of Yourself that it consumes us. That it revolutionizes our lives. That everything else pales into insignificance. There's a pure passion, a holy passion, devotion. We are single-minded until that day. You know our hearts. You know that we can't do it ourselves. And so we give you our hearts now. Work in them. And may we see you. In Jesus' name, amen.